With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by you, the fans. Guts right, go to patreon.com slash Blue Shirts Breakaway today to get access to our BSBOT ad-free episodes, our Discord, and much more. Thanks to all that met me at the Flyers game over the weekend. Had a great time watching Matt Rempe have an all-time hockey fight and a win, even though the game, I thought, was a little bit messy. And on today's show, we have Emily Kaplan of ESPN to talk about trade rumors and trade deadlines for all things around the league, including the New York Rangers. Greg is also a little bit tired, but kudos to him for powering through yet another week of talking to my face. So, without further ado, let's get to the show and our dear friend, Mark Messier. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Back fans, welcome to the Bushers Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, who's spry and ready to roll. Gregory, say hello. I promise you, I was caught off guard that you didn't say BSBOT some number. You thought this was a bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't think it's Monday, is what you're saying. No, it, it, time has no concept to me currently. Uh, look, I'm, I'm very, very similar. I want to thank everybody I met at the Flyers game on Saturday. Very great time. Good uh to be honest, Gregory, I don't know how much of the game you got to watch. Uh, kind of a disaster of a game, despite tying the franchise record of 10 wins in a row. Sort of very sloppy, uh, not luck going on. Matt Rempe game-winning goal. I'm sure we'll get to Matt Rempe because we have a lot to talk about with him. But uh, it did look like the, the loss that eventually came to the Columbus Blue Jackets was, was sort of on the heels here. They played a lot of hockey recently. Not the end of the world. Five games in eight days? Yes, five games in eight days, which turns out um, you can only push your body so hard. Isn't that weird? <laughs> hey, that's a good reference. I like it. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite things um, that, that when, when they lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets last night, I saw, the, I saw a couple of different comments that said this. Like Twitter was a nightmare. Dude, last night. what the hell? They just oh won 10 in a row. I, I don't want to do the referendum conversation like every single time, but there was one particular one I really, really enjoyed. And it was, well... If they have to play in the playoffs, they're going to have to play these games like they like they are now. I, I want to I want to respond like, dude, how hard do you work on Mondays? <laughs> like when you go to work on Monday and you don't have anything that's due, your job is not on the line. There's no deadline for a project. How hard are you working? Tell me the truth. How hard are you working? And now tell me how hard you're working when you know you'll get fired by 2 p.m. Let me know the difference when that comes, by the way. <laughs> Hit me up when, when you find that and figure that out. Because I'm very curious as to like what your body would react to if that was the case. It's not all games are created equal. I'm sorry. It's, if it was a playoffs game, would you be mad? They want to be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in the playoffs. No, and they would have beat them. It's like that's, that's the difference. <laughs> They'd also, if it was the playoffs, the Rangers would probably have a different right wing. Uh, frankly, Matt Rempe probably wouldn't even be in the lineup. 
uh, they'd have a day off, and they Jonathan fly- Quick wouldn't have played. They wouldn't fly directly from Philly to Columbus, Ohio, sleep in a hotel, and play eighteen hours later. <laughs> if they were different, things be different. That's Isn't that what weird? it is. So I, strange. It's just my god. And I'm I, not doing the referendum conversation. No, today, but it's whatever. The, the new the new twist of well, oh, oh, now now it's oh, well, you're going to be angry because someone's critical of the team. Just because they've won a lot of games, oh. but what the fuck is it, guys? You, you can, decide? yeah, we try to be. Wait, if, sometimes if you don't, man. if you don't like the Rangers and you just want to be critical, and just have that be your resting bitch face. Yeah, just be critical. Like if that's your thing, do you, baby? I'm not here to tell you, but don't bring it into me. <laughs> like, don't reply to me like this team won ten in a row. And they suck. Like I, I hate to give Ethan credit, who I, I desperately hate all the time. Um, but he, the, the thing is uh, Ranger fans complaining when they've won 10 in a row, it's like, because the bit of jet sucks. Yeah. He is. He's eight points in his last 10 games. Cool. I know, but none of them No, even strangle. And that, the, the Zibanejad hate is taking a new face where like I started a conversation, but now the conversation has escaped me, but I can't really come out and be suddenly pro Mika. Yeah. But I also just don't want to participate in the conversation anymore. Well, it's because he's scored like zero goals in 5v5 since December or something. Yeah, it'd be nice. Matt Rempe has more than him now at 5v5. That's true as well, yes. Yeah, tough. At the same time, you know, I'll judge Mika Zibanejad when the Rangers get a right wing, I think, and play with Mika Zibanejad. That's when I'll judge him. Yeah, and I think it's the appropriate time to judge him. Even though Jimmy Vc has been pretty good, and they've been uh, the tons of line shifts over the past two games. Uh, can we go, oh boy. Can we start with last night? Um, I, I can't. I think I made a joke on BSBOT. It's like, what are we going to do? Put Kako on left wing and Lafreniere on right wing? <laughs> it happened in the game itself. And look, I, I think Laviolette's pulling all the right strings here. I don't want to. This isn't a criticism of him. I haven't even started criticizing Laviolette. I think it's interesting that he tries all these line combinations. We begged and pleaded for other coaches to try things like this before. But to have the the Vinny Trocek, Kako, Lafreniere line. Uh, it's just pretty funny that it was like, mm, shouldn't we just put laugh on the left again? Like he's been, he's played there before he could do it. It's just funny. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I didn't register an opinion on it, but I was also unable to register opinions yesterday. It was period, like a, full stop. La- lack of a uh, lack of brain power at that point in time. Yeah. It's carried over to today as well. I used all the brain power I needed to do to get my work done before we started recording. And I also your none. work, by the way, this is still also your work. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> just like maybe the, use a little bit more well i here's the thing ryan you should have uh-huh. had you should have reminded me of that before i started doing things at nine o'clock today so it's it. on you all right listen this is ryan's fault i think everyone could agree um and that's totally fine but against the blue jackets it was uh, you saw Laviolette really start to switch it up for the first time not only on the defensive pairs i, I don't think it was the first time fourth time can we go fourth? i think it was the the defensive pair switch i'm not doing the oh jacob Man, so fun now that we are back where things are mostly good. So Jacob Truba's the punching bag once again. Okay, dude, they won 10 in a row. Like, I know. <laughs> they no, won. no, but Jay, Truba's – there are people out there that they're – I've been telling you all along. It's the all, it's the all along people. Dude, all along. Want, where were you the last 10 games? Where I This is what I always want. I just want them to fall into a ditch. When they're winning all the time, where are you people? What are you? <laughs> well, it's like, man, actually I was wrong. <laughs> For 10 games, they were fucking awesome. Like, yeah, they were. Um, yeah, then- I I just don't know. I, listen, we, we need to toe the line here where players are allowed to have a bad night. And Truba had a bad night. Miller did too. Both of them. But it's not everything on God's green earth 
is always going to be their fault. and They're not always going to have bad nights. But Miller and Truba had excellent games during this this 10 run. Like sure there, were, there was a time in January where Miller and Truba were straight up bad. We called it out at the time. It was it was rough, but during that ten game win streak, there were times where Keandre Miller like legitimately looked like the best player on the ice at some points. Yeah, and we've also been the guys saying that we'd love to see Fox with Miller, we'd love to see Lindgren with Truba. We think those pairings would work. We think those pairings would add something positively to all four players involved. At the same time, I do think if Adam Fox walks into, I'm not saying he does this. I'm Speaking hypothetically, for anyone that's listening to this here show, if Adam Fox walks into Peter Laviolette's office and says, Pete, Mr. Laviolette, coach, skip, whatever fucking word he wants to use to address him, if he says he'd rather play with Ryan Lindgren and he feels playing with Ryan Lindgren elevates his game and makes him feel more comfortable and allows him to take more chances, I think I'd let him. It hit me too. It turns out you have that credence when you're Adam Fox. It's very strange. Yeah, I would hope, Ryan, that Laviolette also has the tact and ability to try to explain to Adam Fox that playing with Keandre Miller might unlock something else in his game and might be beneficial to try. But listen, if Fox is ever adamant about what he wants to do and who he wants to play with, I do think Adam Fox has that leeway in my eyes. He does. And it's it's cool to try him with Gus. It's cool to try him with Miller. It's cool to actually try these things because you might need to have those in the playoffs. And this is what we've been asking for for years. Uh, which kind of brings me to the Matt Rempe conversation. Is this where we have to head at this point? Um, I don't know if you saw this, but our, our friend Pat literally asked us if he should get a Matt Rempe t-shirt. And like <laughs> my first thought was, why are we not doing that? My second thought was, I still don't think this is a good idea. Uh, how long do we think Rempe is even around for on this team? How long until the Rangers make a trade? That that's that's ten, the answer. Ten days. Ten days. I've had I've had at least one person slide in my DM. Someone who is connected say that he would not be surprised if the first trade comes Tuesday, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening. Today, depending on when you're listening to this. Yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, d- February twenty seventh depending on when you're listening to this. Good call. Listen, (laughs) I got a lot of heat this weekend. I didn't mean to. Um, I I think it's funny. He's just never going to play a full game. Like, that's funny to me. Now, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's a good player. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable to watch. I'm not saying you should feel a certain way about the guy. At some point, though, the Rangers, who just played five games in eight days, essentially did it with 11 forwards. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't. I'm sorry. Because it's not just him taking the five-minute majors of the game misconduct against the Devils, which, by the way, Ryan, hate to fucking say it, fucking deserved. I don't care if you're, if you're bigger than the man you're hitting, you have to be responsible with your body. A player being short needs to be in your calculus when you are leveling a hit. I apologize for having that nuanced of an opinion, but it's not your first nuanced opinion, by the way. I know. And it's also not my first correct opinion. If I'm being Frank, sometimes you're correct. Sometimes you're not this time. I think you are. Yeah, it's possible. Again, I just five games in eight days when again, it's not just him taking penalties, but there were multiple games there where he couldn't play the third period because Laviolette had to shorten the bench further. And there was one game 
where him and Edstrom only got 30 seconds of ice time in the second period because there were so many penalties. It's just really hard to not have guys that you can freely move up and down the lineup. And frankly, we know this for sure that LaViolette, while he's doing it now, he does not want to have to rely on Mika Zibanejad to be the center for his shutdown defensive line. He loved that Pitlick-Goodrow-VC line when it was humming right along at its absolute apex. Now, Pitlick's game dropped off. Goodrow's been rougher as of late. But more importantly, he can't use Edstrom and Rempe in the same way that he was using the wingers next to Goodrow earlier in the season with a lot of success. So how long is this Rempe stuff going to last? Until the Rangers get wingers that can replace him in the lineup. And right now they don't have them. He has been shockingly good in his sparing time. Not that he's played a lot of minutes. Which is why, like, if he just stops, accepts. Now, again, last night he asked to fight and then got fucking destroyed. So I thought, I I thought the guy was challenging him. Turns out I was wrong. Uh, He asked to fight. Got, you can't fight every game, dude. No. And let me be clear. I fucking love what he did to Nick Delorier. Amazing. Great job. I have, (laughs) I have erotic dreams about punching the shit out of men from Philadelphia. Well, that is yep. a turn on for Greg. Uh, right here, do live here. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's I have, it was one of the better hockey fights I've seen in a long time. I had people that weren't even hockey fans texting me about the fight. That's how, like, that's how much reach it really had. And it was a really even fight until Rappi got his uh, sweater pulled over his head. But otherwise, it was freaking awesome. Like, and even being there live, it energized the whole building for, what a, for a game that I think was mostly Snoresville for two periods. Yeah, but then you got to make Cornholio jokes for a little bit there, too, when yeah, Rappi had his jersey up. And look, it's funny that we, I can't believe we're doing this. It's two weeks before the trade deadline or something like that. We have to spend legitimate six minutes on if Matt Rempe is amazing or not, (laughs) because he has been sort of a weird revelation uh, for the Rangers and Edstrom, who, by the way, I think we, I don't know if we're talking about enough or not, like, looks like he belongs on this roster for a long time. At least as an extra forward, like again, and this is the conversation we, while I think Johnny Brodzinski is performing well enough where he should be one of your 12 forwards in a playoff game, the reason you give Johnny Brodzinski, who, by the way, signed an extension this week that we haven't mentioned yet. Congrats to give, Johnny. You give him the extension because you're confident that if he's your 13th forward and an injured player needs to come out of your lineup, not only can you put Johnny Brodzinski into the lineup, you're confident he's going to perform in the role in which you ask him to play. And that's another valuable depth piece with a guy like Edstrom where – it's difficult with if it's a top six guy and you have to move someone up and Edstrom, the guy that's coming into the lineup, and it's not a one-to-one fill, but if you have a deep enough and diverse enough bottom six that includes players like Will Cooley, Capo Caco, Jimmy VC, if you have to move one of those th- three up your lineup, not only are you confident those three will perform above expectation in an increased role, the guys you backfill for, you're confident they are at least an average NHLer. And that is a huge benefit to have when you have expensive contracts like the Rangers do. One thing uh, I, we haven't talked about yet, 15 minutes into the show. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but Igor Sturkin's back. What? Yeah, he's back all the way. How about actually. Uh, the Rangers have faced 40 shots in their last five games. Igor Sturkin played in four of those. He won all of them. Yeah, and I saw a couple people being like, aren't you concerned the Rangers are giving up a lot of shots? No! They're giving up a lot of shots from areas I don't care about. 
This is yep. our whole – we've been having this conversation essentially about Three the Carolina Hurricanes since we started podcasting. Yep. If, if, if you want to take shots from the top that are unscreened, where the goalie's in position, has a clear line of sight, buddy, take 70 of them. All you're doing is taking a low F, a low caliber shot with a small chance of physically going into the neck, and more than likely, you are now dispossessed of the puck. I encourage these shots. Give them all to the opposing team. Please and thank you. Take 50. Take 100. Take 200. I don't care. As long as they're not high danger chances, I don't give a shit, Ryan. And Igor has been amazing at stopping the high danger chances. And, and look, I think this team has struggled with breakaways a lot this year. And for the last in the 10 game win streak, I don't think they really struggled with that as nearly as much. There was a two on O versus Igor Shesterkin uh, where he made the save. And they, they've, they've had that. And Igor has been the big difference. Like, this is why we spent all that time earlier in this year saying we're not worried about him. How could we? He's going to fix the game. Uh, first star of the week, 3-0 like under one GDA. So pretty good. Uh, just overall, uh, welcome back, my friend. Any other particular, I guess, t- talking points? Like beat the hell out of the devils. We have a BSBOT on it. Not that you remember it. And <laughs> I I, I'm not even trying to be cute, buddy. I don't remember it. <laughs> well, it's a legendary one. So I heard the uh, five minutes you clipped out and put in slump. Yeah, well, because... Uh, that's what I got most, like we beat the devils and the most comments I got from almost all of our fans were about our fantasy baseball league. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Cool. We beat the hell out of the devils five, not five, one and uh, not at the end of their season. They could still come back and get that third wild card spot, but essentially things have been, uh, really, really bad for them since. I don't know. They, Jeff was depressed following the lightning game on Sunday. That was the four, one loss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a wild card kind of, a uh, kind of run. But they, they do have a, a better shot at catching the Flyers than they do about the Lightning at this point. Yeah, it's just tough. I, you know, the seasons from hell happen. And I think it's important that you I, you just get to a point where you recognize it's a season from hell. I was there by mid-June, I think, last year with the Mets. You just know. When you know, you know. There was nothing the Mets were going to do at the trade deadline to fix that team. Nope. The difference with the Devils is there's something they can do at the trade deadline to fix that team. It won't be a complete fix. But the problem is with them, that player they would acquire to play goalie, that's a long-term fix for them too. So it still boggles my mind that they haven't figured this. We said, Ryan, before the season started, none of us saw what was going to happen with the Jets coming. We readily admit that. But there were plenty of should-they-trade Connor Hellebuck rumors out there. I came on this show and said, if the Devils trade for Connor Hellebuck, I'd give him the cup today. And I fucking meant it. Yep. Yeah. And and for good reason, by the way, because the Jets have been awesome. Not the Jets have like really come back at this point in time. They've, I guess they've won three in a row. They're still second in their central division here. But uh, Hellebuck would have changed that Devils team in a huge, huge way. Um, crazily. Uh, anything else we want to get to before we get to our interview with Emily? No, I, I don't think we've, we haven't really, I don't feel like we've missed anything. The Rangers have won a lot except the game before we are recording this podcast. Um, I guess we can talk generally. Do you, This is a point we bring up with Emily and we talked about it a bit after the podcast. So you're of the opinion the Rangers feel like they need three players. I, have, I am of the opinion that they feel that way. Which I guess that's a- not an opinion we have. We 
are confident the Rangers feel like they need three players. I am confident that. I am confident that my opinion is that they need one. They need one player. I think I'll tear them. How about that? I think that's a happy compromise. Yeah, let's do it. Right wing one with a bullet. Mm -hmm. I, I think no single addition to your roster will change your roster more by simply having a right winger you are confident playing alongside Mika Zibanejad. Not just to get Mika going, but it moves VC back down the lineup. It get, it allows Kako to continue to play this role. A guy who scored, by the way, last night. Allows him to play in a role that he's becoming an extreme, extreme advantage. Where, you know, he might only be playing 14 minutes a night, but he is constantly playing inferior competition and working them to a to the bone. So... Mm-hmm. To me, no no spot better than getting a right wing one. I will. I still don't think you need someone to replace Brodzinski, but if you want to bring in a bottom six forward who can play both center and wing to allow yourself the flexibility to truly mix and match at the end of games, either with defensive lineups or offensive lineups, I think that's the second need, bringing in a guy that can play center, but that can also play the wing. And then to me, we tried to do this with Emily afterwards. If they want a third player, it has to be someone you can stash in Hartford. And then I would think that someone is also a center. It's almost someone like, I don't know if you're, this is a weird um, way to put it. Do you remember when the Blue Jackets made the playoffs and they traded for Keith? Like Kincaid? Yes. And they, had, they had a third goalie and Keith just kind of set the whole playoffs in, in the stance. Yeah. Uh, sort of like that, where it's a depth piece. Yeah, I just... Because the two players you replace in the lineup, whether you like them or not, are Edstrom and Rempe. Those those are number 11 and number 12. So the goal is to get players better than they are. And I think they can do that. The 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 10th guy is Brodzinski. And I just, even if you aren't overly confident that he can be a guy that you want in your lineup in a must-win playoff game, mm-hmm. you're not going to bring in a better player than him to be your number 10 forward. Yep. So to me, what you're trying to do by acquiring a third player is creating the safety net where if something were to happen to either Brodzinski, one of the new imports, or an established lineup guy, you don't want to have to wait for someone to waive someone that might work. So you want to go out there and proactively get your hands on your essentially 14th forward who's a center. But to me... I don't think that's a guy you can trade for and then stash in the press box. He needs to be playing in Hartford. I just don't see how that player is someone you acquire that currently isn't in the AHL. That's where my mindset is. It feels weird. feels like, I don't know. I I do think the right wing one is the, and you've been on there for a while. That's the spot. With a a bullet. It's It's the biggest need the Rangers have. It's not even close. Uh, let's get to our interview with Emily, and then we'll come back and answer some five-star questions. Transition. Hey, yo, it's time for me to tell you about the official ticket sponsor of this podcast. It's right. It's TickPick. TickPick is your number one ticketing app. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For all your ticketing needs, whether you're going to a concert, an opera, whatever it is, check if it's on TickPick first because when you go to check out, it gives you, that's right, no fees. The price you see is the price you get. So you can go on there. You can rank by best deals. You can rank by tickets. I've been tracking ticket prices of certain things like, hey, man, is this going to go down? I don't know. Let's find out. It gives me alerts. The price has dropped or more tickets have been added. TickPick has so many different features, I can't even read them all in one ad read. I do them over a full month just so I can let you know how good they are. And if you want to use TickPick, you can use it today at checkout with promo code BLUESHIRTS15 on checkout. And you'll get $15 off your order over $99 thanks to your favorite Rangers podcast. So if you go ahead and use BLUESHIRTS15, get $15 off for any order over $99, go to TickPick, tell them we sent you, hashtag no fees TickPick, number one ticketing app. For all events. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. We have our dear friend, Emily Kaplan of ESPN, the worldwide leader. Emily, how are you? It's always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Ryan and Greg, my maybe cousin from a different uncle somewhere. Somewhere. Where where do we start uh, with this trade deadline? Because it feels like, I guess this is the topic I want to kick this off with. The East is very winnable. There are a lot of teams. There are no juggernauts. The Rangers just won 10 in a row and lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets last night as we're speaking with you. But it does feel like anybody can come out of the East at this point in time. Is this going to cause an arms race or sort of, or people being more lenient because the market is a little, um, I would say, not loaded with talent? Yeah, it's such an interesting season. You're right. Like, I feel like the West is where all the true Stanley Cup contenders are right now. And if you get into the playoffs in the West, really good teams are going to be eliminated in the first round. The biggest trend, though, that I've noticed league-wide is so many teams on the bubble that potentially could push for the playoffs are looking to be sellers right now, um, where their general managers, their ownerships, like, you know what, it's just not our year. Let's just try to set ourselves up for success next year. I feel like the Flyers are a great example of that, where like Danny Breyer just took the job. This is his time to do the rebuild, right? You don't get to do a rebuild three years in. You get to do it right away when you take it. And he's looking for every excuse to be a seller, even though the Flyers, more than likely, as we record this, are a playoff team. Um, And I feel like there's just very few teams that are like looking to go all in in the East. I think the Panthers are awesome. They probably look like the strongest team in the East. But in talking to their general manager, Bill Zito, he's just like, 
I don't have the assets to give up anymore. Like it was so vital for us two years ago to make the playoffs and we gave up a ton last year. We got what we got this year. Like we'll probably go for it, but like, I just don't have first round picks to give anyone. So I'm going to have to be creative here, even though I have cap space, the Bruins, I know they're looking to add, they want to go all in the hurricanes are being super aggressive. And then the Rangers are probably the only other team that I see really going for it in this group. So that's why I think we are going to see the Rangers linked to so many of these hot names around the deadline. And they're probably are going to add some really good pieces. Is this one of those weird years where to me, the Ranger fan, the guy who has to follow this team every day of his life, it feels (laughs) like a seller's market, but in your explanation, that would make it sound like a buyer's market considering how, as you mentioned, especially in the Eastern conference, there are maybe three teams that, even want to make additions at the deadline. Yeah, I think it is a buyer's dev, uh, market, except there's not that many buyers and there's not that many players that people are super excited about. I mean, Jake Ensel unequivocally is the top player available and there is going to be a competition and a healthy competition for him. Scott Lawton's probably second, but the asking price is so high. A lot of teams are like, do we want to do that? Like, could we do that over the summer? Like, does this really make sense? Do I want to give up multiple high-end assets for him? Maybe. And I do think it's trending towards him going because there's some momentum there. But like, who else are you really excited about that's out there? Like the Predators are a team that have a lot of their players on the market right now. Tommy Novak is going to be the guy that like is going to go for way more than you think, because I think people around the league value him highly. But other than that, there's just not those like high end rentals that were like, where are they going to go? Because a lot of the top moves have already happened. Yeah. One of the things we were told, I think a bunch of times that the Rangers, um, they're, people are asking them like premium steak prices and they're looking for a cheeseburger sort of situation. <laughs> and out there right now, I, I mean, I've seen multiple reports where Drew's looking for two players, looking for three players. Uh, they don't have a lot of cap space. And I'm also not sure like that they want to get like a center. Have you heard anything about what they might be looking for in general? Yeah, it, it does seem, I mean, like the two obvious areas of need, right? You lose Blake Wheeler, you lose Philip Heedle. Um, They're going to need a right wing and a center to replace those two guys. I mentioned Tommy Novak, and I, I've heard that the Rangers have been scouting a lot around the Predators. Like, he would be a player, to me, that makes some sense for them because he plays really hard and has that grit and jam that we see the Rangers wanting to add. You know, I think that kind of explains the Matt Rempe hysteria that we've seen of him needing to get these guys into the game and, and get going. Um, but he also comes at a really low cap hit, and I think that's important um, because, as you mentioned, they are in a bit of a squeeze and they probably don't want to give up too many assets, which means you're asking for some cap retention, which means that that drives up the price. Um, So I I think, like you said, two, if not three forwards, it seems like they're set on defense and obviously they're not touching goaltending. You know, it's funny. If you came on this podcast a month ago, Emily, people would ask (laughs) you if they were confined on goaltending. What a world we live in. What to you, is there a player? I know you mentioned Novak, but is there a player that best fits to me what is the biggest hole in the New York Rangers roster, which is this right-handed wing spot right next to Mika Zibanejad that needs to get him going and ready for the playoffs. I don't know if there's one player that is available that fits that perfectly. I have to say it. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of players that are, there are available, you know, if you look at the bottom feeding teams and who they're trying to sell off, like any player on the sharks is up for grabs. You call um, Mike Greer and you say, I want this player. He's yours. Um, 
is there anyone there that super excites you? Like, not me personally. Um, you know, I know Pavel Buchnevich's name might have come up with Rangers fans. Like, it doesn't seem like a reunion is likely there, if nothing else, because of the high asking price that uh, Doug Armstrong is asking for. So I'm not sure if there's a perfect candidate there. This might be the year where it's someone a little bit more unexpected. I guess what I should have said off the top is there's a player that we know works in the system, and that's Vladimir Tarasenko because he looked really good last year and wants to come back. So maybe they work out something there. I don't know. The cap hit is just so high there. Uh, they could fit him. It's just like, that's the only trade they're making. And then right. it's like, that's your team. Congratulations. The other name that we know works in that system is Frank Vetrano, but he has two years left on his contract. Are the Ducks selling? Or, I know there's like Zagris buzz. There's a lot of things going on out there. I just, I don't actually know what their plan is. Uh, so Pat Verbeek is basically Steve Eiserman 2.0. Like he's the guy that like kind of operates under the radar, doesn't want to tell anyone what he's doing and then boom, goes for it. Um, from what I understand, yeah, they 100% are still in a rebuild. I think behind the scenes, he's telling people, I think we're going to be competitive sooner than you think because of how good Leo Carlson looks, because of you know how many other young players have really stepped up. Um, but this is definitely still in, let's recoup some assets and draft picks and high prospects right now. Um, as it pertains to Zegras, and I know he's probably of interest to a lot of just, I mean, I think he grew up a Rangers fan or he grew up in the area. He wants to be on the East Coast. I don't know if his future long-term is going to be in Anaheim just because of the style that he plays doesn't quite vibe with the style that Verbeek and Greg Cronin um, are really instilling. He's worked really hard in this defensive game. A deal like that, though, just tends to happen over the summer. They're not shopping him. Like, this is the other thing that I keep hearing. We're not shopping this player. We're just listening to calls. And, like, that's where I do think they are at with Zegers. I just think that if he moves, and there does seem like some inevitability that he will not finish his career out in Hanaheim, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen before March 8th. It feels like it'll be this summer or later. Who do you think's the best player that gets traded at the deadline this year? It doesn't have to be a guy the Rangers get. I know we mentioned Gensel as the prize. But do we think he actually gets moved or are the Penguins going to hold fast? He is by far the best player available, in my opinion, just because of the proof of concept that he has as a playoff performer. He always elevates his level. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of skeptics of saying, oh, well, look, he's always playing with Sidney Crosby. He can play and drive his own line. I firmly believe it. And I think he's going to showcase that. If, and in my opinion, inevitability when he does move, because it just feels like in Pittsburgh, Kyle Dubas is like, I need to win it with this core. I've made a promise to this core that we'll go for it. And this is not our year. And we got to figure out what assets we can recoup right now. And they had conversations with Jake Gensel and his agent to begin the season. There was a contract offer. Jake Gensel's like, nah, I'm not signing that. I know what I'm worth on the open market. And I get the sense that Sidney Crosby has accepted the fact that, okay, if we do move Jake Gensel and I'm not going to be happy about it, it's just to make sure that I can still stay competitive towards the end of my career. And as I finish out this contract and hopefully sign a new one. Um, so I do believe he does get moved and I think he's the best player available. Let's stick on the penguins a bit because I think uh, it's pretty much over for them. Like there's still a chance, right? Mathematically they can still make the run. They're the penguins. I never want to count them out other than Gensel. Are, are they willing to listen on? I think the core is staying right. Mm -hmm. Like Crosby, Latang, Malkin, they're not moving. Um, even though as much as the Ranger fan, I would like to see them go all over the place. Uh, <laughs> is there anybody else they're looking to sell or move very quickly or no? Yeah, um, I've heard from 
other sources around the league that they're basically listening to any of their upcoming UFAs. Um, it's not a ton of them. It's it's not guys that you get super excited about. Like, I don't think anyone is lining up for Jeff Carter, for example, but maybe Chad Ruedel or someone like that. Um, Alex Delkovich is another really interesting one. I think he would be a player that potentially could move and given the league-wide thirst for goaltending, um, he has a $1.5 million cap hit. That's a good one. But the guy that I do expect to move is Riley Smith. Um, he has a $5 million cap hit, so I think that the Penguins would have to retain 50% of that or at least some of it. But there's interest in a reunion in Vegas. I've heard Florida not, uh, linked to him. I know that Carolina is interested in him as well. Carolina is one of those teams that low-key is trying to be pretty aggressive here. In fact, Carolina is even talking about some of their roster players saying they're available. We're down to make hockey trades. They view value differently than anyone else in the league, but... I would expect Riley Smith to be on the move just because it really hasn't vibed well with him in this trade. Yeah, it's funny how, as a Ranger fan, you don't hear Riley Smith's name anymore now that Gerard Gallant isn't here. <laughs> um, is there in your... We had Larry Brooks on the podcast last week. Larry Brooks flat out said, the only team in the East that would truly scare him is the Devils, but only if they get a goalie. Are they going to get their goalie? It's so hard. I mean, I feel like New Jersey is just in this really interesting position because momentum is important for that franchise. Like what they built at the end of last season, not only getting into the playoffs and exceeding expectations there, but then beating the Rangers, it activated and engaged their fan base. And then all of a sudden they see the season ticket sales bump and they see all the, you know, just money around the team. And you're like, we got to keep this going. And so Tom Fitzgerald, their GM, has full authority from his ownership group to look at everything to make it better. Going into the year, I think he should have addressed goaltending, especially because they parted with those two defensemen. They didn't want to pay them the contracts, and that's fine. That's a business decision. You don't have to do that. But once Dougie Hamilton goes down, you've got a really young and inexperienced group. And as great as Luke Hughes and Simone Nemeches are, um, they're not ready to be the guys to lead that defensive group. And so they needed more defense to mask the fact that their goaltending is weak and they've been completely exposed there. So they've been aggressively looking at goaltending. You know, I reported my column, Brian, I know you picked up on it, but like the Markstrom deal was so close that when he was on that road trip out playing the Islanders, Rangers and devils, like he thought he just was going to stay and like figure out how to get his stuff later. Like that's how close it got. It fell through because of term and money and how much retention there was going to be. Um, and you know, it just, it was too much and too rich for the devils. I think they could re-engage. I don't think those lines of communication are dead. I also think they're in on UC Saros. But the way things have spiraled the last two weeks, like I'm almost wondering if Tom Fitzgerald might just take a step back and being like, we got unlucky this year. Dougie Hamilton was a massive loss. Jack Hughes is out for a number of games. Timo Meyer has been out. He came back a little too soon. He wasn't 100%. Like maybe we do need to take one step back so we can take three steps forward because I feel really good about my foundation. So at this point, as we record, I feel like it's 50-50 of whether they do get that goaltender or not. Do you think they just re-engage in the summer? Because it does seem, feel like the, the season has sort of sunk at this point for Jersey. Yeah, potentially. Um, you know, and I, I think I'm so sick of like general managers and people telling me like, well, how we perform in the next X amount of time will dictate what we do because it always feels like they move the goalpost. Like Tom Fitzgerald might have said that about like last week. And then he probably now is saying like the next two weeks determining what he's going to do. Um, but it does feel like, again, just the vibes around the team and like, it's tough because, like I mentioned, the holes in roster construction that they have this year, even though I do believe that systematically they're built for sustainable success, um, coaching is also an issue. And, you know, they just gave this extension to Lindy Ruff, but everyone I talked to around the league just kind of gets the sense that Lindy Ruff is not right, 
long for this group and that there could be a new voice needed next season. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't know when you throw in the white towel. Um, I, I think they're still in it as we record this today. But if the losses pile up in the next week, it, it feels like maybe you just eat this loss. So if the Devils are the team where maybe they are delaying a decision so that a decision is made where they don't have to do any move, is there a team out there, Emily, that today we think should be buying, but by this time next week we think they're going to be selling? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, hmm. You know, like, I, I think, again, like I mentioned, there's so many teams that are on the bubble that, like, are kind of waving the white flag a little too early. Like, the Capitals are a good example of that, even though <laughs> if you look at that roster and you look at the way that they play, like, they started to play better lately, but I've covered so many Caps games this season, and it's tough. Like, it's just, they don't have it. And, you know, I, I do think that TJ Oshie probably is gone for a while, and it's like, okay, how many of these veteran guys are gone? And you just got to say, like, we don't have it and we don't have the depth. Um, so, like, theoretically, they should be in a buying position, but I think they will and should be sellers. Um, the Blues are another good example. Like, again, just like, kind of on the cusp, but Doug Armstrong's like, I don't really believe in this group. Like, I already fired my coach. I think even if we make the playoffs, we don't have what it takes for a long run. So, therefore, I think they could be selling off some assets as well. Does anybody ever just text you and go, what the hell is up with the Flyers? Like how <laughs> how are they how are they keep doing this? Uh, and uh, they've had they've also had a weird year. I would say there's been a lot that's happened there, uh, from losing a top prospect to Carter Hart, and now all of a sudden they're still sitting in that third wild card spot. And I got to be honest, it looks like they're not letting go. Uh, so I know you're saying they're rebuilding, and I don't think they'll buy, but I also don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, is that weird? It's so weird, but like I said, like when you have a GM and president that come in, like this is your time to say like we can put our stamp on this and with Tortorella. And I've asked towards point blank, how far away do you think you are from being a contender? And he said two to three years. Like they want to make the playoffs and they need to make the playoffs at this point or like they need to go for the playoffs at this point just to keep the fan base engaged and to set that culture amongst their group that winning is important. But it does feel like they're just like looking for every excuse to try to trade away players just so that they can, again, build it the way that they want to and, and build something sustainable. So I think the interesting things to them to watch over the, you know, the next course of the season is one, do they get that offer for Scott Lawton? That is an offer that you can't refuse. And it feels like the momentum is trending that way that potentially he could move, you know, they're two pairing the pairing of Sean Walker and um, Nick Sealer. They are, really good defensemen and they play really, really well together against other teams, top lines, and they're both UFAs. And if they are in contract extensions, you know, negotiations, and Danny Breer told me it's going to go right up until the deadline. If they can't get deals done, I do think they're going to trade them away. And then the other thing to look for with them is we know Carter Hart is gone and they're going to use this as an audition for Urson to say, is he the guy um, that we can trust as a number one? And they're going to use him as a number one. And is he ready for the spotlight? Like obviously they don't think much of Peterson. Like, I don't think he's long for the organization. But what do you have in Urson is the other thing that they're going to look at. I, I know a lot of people like to use the Rangers in not just trade rumors, but also free agency rumors. Because if you put Dolan in a conversation with something, you could potentially drive the price with other people. But has there ever been a player talked about in trade circles where it was clear the rumors were coming from outside the organization asking about the player? than it was with Capococco being in the amount of rumors he found himself in in the middle of the season there? I'm so cautious with just everything that comes out this time of year. Like, I always think it when I talk to people, like, 
they're telling me information, but they have a motivation to get this information out there. And what is it? And I'm as guilty as any reporter where sometimes I'll just, you know, recite what they say or regurgitate it and publish it. And then I kind of feel dirty about it of like, what have I done? Um, So I don't know if I can give you like a specific example of a player being brought up in Rangers conversations, but I just feel like any player that you've heard linked so far, like if it's really serious, usually the name doesn't get out until it happens. Like maybe Patrick Kane was the one example of the opposite, but that's just because it was Patrick Kane and everyone was so clear and it was so obvious what his intentions were. So I would just be skeptical of any links that you hear uh, this far out. The one team we haven't talked about is the Islanders, (laughs) uh, at least from the Metro. Uh, A team that is endlessly confusing to me. Uh, They've had some goaltender retention. Uh, The Rangers have gone through that as well. Although Igor Sturkin, star of the week, shout out to him. They're, it looks like they were still trying to compete and they refuse to rebuild. They fire their coach. They hire Wah. Are, are they going to buy? Like, I, I, I legit, like, they're, they're the same amount of points and two games more played than the Penguins. Like, and I think the Penguins are mostly out of it. What do you, what does the Islanders' deadline look like? So it's so impossible to predict anything Lou Lamarillo will do. I don't know if he even has an inner circle outside of him and his son, Chris is AGM and you know, those in the organization, like he really just doesn't allow leaks. And I say this with the most professional respect that I ever could have for someone because Lou Lamarillo has been so kind to me socially um, and professionally gives me respect, but just isn't going to give me any information. He's not going to give anyone any information. I also say this out of respect. He's a stubborn man. <laughs> and I think he stubbornly believes in the players that he has and that this is a group that can win. And, you know, when you have the elite level goaltending that you get out of Sorokin, when you have a really good blue line, when healthy, like they have, um, he, he believes in them. And I've heard from other teams that they were scouting around some forwards. So if they do have the trade deadline, which I kind of think they might because of that stubbornness, um, that's where I would look for them to add. Uh, But again, it's just, it's a really tough team to predict because of who their general manager is and the way they operate. A couple of things have happened since the dawn of social media that Uh-oh. have transformed how we are as sports fans. No, no, I'm going to land this ship. I am creating the longest runway possible here. Uh, some things I don't like during trade season in other sports. Hug watch, can't stand it. Worst <laughs> thing that's ever happened to me as a baseball fan. I think the hockey equivalent of hug watch for me is, do I need to know where every scout for every team ever is. Is this not just them doing their fucking job? And now I need someone being like, well, you know, the Rangers, they had two scouts in San Jose yesterday. What do you think that means? I think it means the scout was asked to go do his job. And I think that's all it was meant to be. I'm with you. I uh, I think we do put too much stock into that. Every time you see reporters like tweet the seating chart, I'm just like, okay. The one thing I would say is anytime a general manager shows up to scout, then I think there's some uh, juice to it. However. I also live in Chicago and like Doug Armstrong is a great example where like he'll just come up here all the time and just sit in the press box just because like he loves to scout and loves to watch games. And I don't know if it necessarily means he's like scouting his divisional rivals or just, you know, getting, you know, for trade purposes or just getting a better sense of, you know, the way the league is. Um, but Or dude loves hockey. Just, like, yeah, what, you know? exactly. Dude just, <laughs> That's Pat, it. Pat Verbeek's another one. Like dude is always on the road, usually in junior hockey and the AHL, but like you'll see him at NHL rinks too. But if a general manager is at a game, like then I get a better sense of like, okay, maybe there's something there. Speaking of hugging prospects, uh, we didn't talk about hugging prospects with the Rangers. Pretty much been reported that, I think even you uh, reported this over the weekend. Please correct me if I'm wrong. 
that uh, Gabe Perot and also Brendan Othman are sort of off the table. I don't think there's a lot of talent after that, despite uh, a lot of AHL Hartford kids coming up recently, like Rampy Edstrom, and I know the others have been performing down there. Those two aren't getting traded, right? Those are the ones that are off the table. Yeah, no, I heard from another team that was talking to the Rangers about some players, and they mentioned both of those players in a conversation separately, and it was just like, no. Just end of conversation, boom. So, um, rightfully so. I mean, these are the two bright lights. And Gabe Perot just having drafted him this year, I hear so many good things about the kid, just about his work ethic, who he is, let alone who he is on the ice. So, I think he's one that Ranger fans should get super excited about. I not he was already off the table. I also think he picked up an injury this week. If I read somewhere, I don't know. I don't know what I've read anymore, and what is just a, what's a haze. Fake, what's not? <laughs> yeah. Um, Stockholm uh, syndrome yourself. Yeah, I mean, cousin, it was a long weekend. Let's just put it that way. Um, what did you do? <laughs> it was a it was a ski weekend uh, with a lot of friends from college, uh, and we all thought we were in our twenties again. You do I the got math. news for you. I'm not. Um, you had a front row seat. I know we've talked a lot about trades, but you had a front row seat for the Matt Rempe experience on Saturday. Would you like to just talk about it? Get it out of your system. I just think this kid is so much energy and is so refreshing. Um, you know, it's clear what he's brought up for a reason. Like they, you have to see what you have in the AHL. Um, but the fact that he's fought in so many of these games so early, I mean, like Laviolette is a veteran coach. This is a veteran organization. They know what they're doing that, you know, I think they're going to have to have a talk with him. Like this isn't sustainable to do every single game, but the way that the players responded to it, he's getting them hyped up. And I just, Love his story. I mean, firstly, like, it's not just a goon. Like, he actually skates quite well for a guy his size. The amount of goals he had in Hartford showed that, like, he does have some offensive gift. Um, but, you know, it, it just we talked about his father passing away six years to the day and how close he was to him and how much that hurt. But how close he is to his mom and his sister. Apparently, his dad was super into music. And now Matt Rempe can pick up any instrument and play. And to honor his dad, the three, him, his mom, and his sister, like, have jam sessions. Like, how cool is that? When he got called up, he texted everyone in the Seattle Thunderbirds, his junior organization, like down to the trainer, letting them know and thinking of her journey, like just the wherewithal to have that. Like there's just a cool maturity about the kid. Um, and I just really want to see him work out because, you know, selfishly as a reporter, I'm just, you know, I feel like our emotion has just been absolutely sucked out of these players. And a lot of times they just become robots and drones out there and just his refreshing energy. It was a really fun post-game interview, but just every time I've heard him talk, I'm like, I, I just want this kid to stick around. I'm uh, I'm so confused about Matt Rempe. And <laughs> it starts here. Uh, a couple of years ago, he got drafted and he was like, we, we just kind of laughed. Like, of course, we're taking the 6'8 guy. Yep. Then a scout texted me and multiple other people I know that said, this is the worst sixth round draft pick I've ever seen in my life. Like, I'm only texting you because of how bad it is. And all of a sudden, not only does he provide this spark and the fighting, like you said, but sort of has like a weird offensive upside in front of the net. Like, yeah, it's cool that you're 6'8", but he kind of has stick handling or puck deflection skills. And I'm just like, is this a legitimate fourth liner for years to come? Or is this just, man, our team's just won 10 in a row. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a guy that was 6'8 to hit people? Totally. I, I'm so I'm so confused, Emily. So I talked to his junior coach, Matt Odette, out in Seattle. And basically when he came to them, he was like 15 years old, uh, undrafted in the WHL. And like, he was a super raw prospect. Like, hips were up to his armpits like super gangly and couldn't skate um and apparently he would just take all of these penalties and he had this like one interview where he told the reporter like 
uh, what's your game like? And he's like, I like to trip. I like to slash. I like to cross check. I'm too scared to fight because I'm going to get my ass kicked. And then at 18, realized that he probably needed to fight because he had that skill set. But along the way, uh, the coach said that like this kid worked for everything he had and became a really good skater and developed that offensive skill set. And like just how proud they are of him and everyone in his journey. Like you're like, maybe this is a kid that is just a late bloomer that still has more in him and still has a higher ceiling. So I am an optimist and I like to believe the best in people. And I think that there is more for him to give. And I think he is more than just a goon. Like, I think if you watch him skate, he can skate. Um, but I don't know what a ceiling is. Like I, I asked Peter Laviolette that and he, he did not want to answer that. He basically was like, we're still seeing what he's like. <laughs> Optimism, not a family trait. So everybody <laughs> understands that. You also, I mean, we, you, you, you're doing pretty good two for two because you were also front row for the whatever you want to call that outdoor game against the Islanders uh, two weeks ago. What is that experience like from your perspective, being in MetLife for that game? Not just forget about the fact that the game itself was crazy. The Rangers went in overtime on a ridiculous blah, blah, blah. Just like the festivity of it all from your eyes. Yeah, I feel bad. And I'm going to sound like a terrible company person because we have it in our contract to cover these outdoor games uh, or the stadium series games. But like, I got kind of jaded by them. I'm like, okay, another hockey game outdoors. We'll talk about the memories these kids have growing up. It's going to be cold, like yada, yada. Um, and I, this is particularly bad year for me to be jaded because I grew up in New Jersey. And especially that Friday night game, it was just like so much of a celebration of things authentically New Jersey because New Jersey Devils were technically the host. Um, but the, getting there, like I just felt like a kid again where – you just, you fell in love with the game and the passion. And it was so much about the fan experience. And I don't think these games would be what they are if the fans didn't show up the way they did um, and just absolutely crushed it. And hearing 80,000 fans sing the Rangers goal song is like a, a sound in my head that I'll never forget. Um, I, and you could tell it just, it felt different for the players also. Like they always get juice. It breaks up the monotony of the season. So I thought it was electric. I'm never going to get jaded again. Famous last words. I know, Greg, your side of the family probably is super jaded all the time. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was an absolutely home run of a weekend, and I loved it. Uh, in terms of uh, just to kind of go off, I, want, I have one more hockey question, but to stick on that. So you think it's a good idea to host the World Cup final there? Yeah. Look, I think New Jersey is the hub <laughs> of the sports universe right now. We had two stadium series games that were an absolute crush. And yeah, my parents uh, live within uh, – driving distance. So I think that they can make a fortune Airbnb being their place. So 100%. They absolutely will. I, I want to go to the West real quick. Cause this is my sort of our favorite trade, trade deadline tradition on blue shirts breakaway. Uh, Jack Eichel currently on long-term IR. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mark Stone also correct uh, on long-term IR. Maybe they both come back to the playoffs. The golden Knights have millions and millions of dollars to do with the trade deadline. Uh, is that ever like a topic anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I look, Heedle could come back in the playoffs. I think it's a different situation. Yeah. If Mark Stone mysteriously comes back in game one, he's like, I'm ready to roll. Same thing with Jack Eichel. It's just like for the third year in a row, I'm sort of, hey, what is this? I know. Here's what I'll tell you about Jack Eichel. He's actually really close. Like, I think you're going to see him return sometime early March. Like, I think he's even traveling with them now. So that one, let's get a little less skeptical about. Last year, there were a lot of grumblings about the Mark Stone situation. The fact that he was magically ready game one of the playoffs. Like, how did that just align perfectly in the calendar? 
it is what it is. Like if these are the rules, teams like the Golden Knights who explore every single way um, to improve their team and are super aggressive since the dawn of their existence are going to kind of, you know, fudge it a little bit until they get punished. The injury to Mark Stone now, from my understanding, is a very serious one. It has to do with his spleen. It's a really unclear timeline, but it's a long-term timeline. So as much as we want to roll our eyes, I do think there is some legitimacy this year. That said, even before both of these situations, I thought this team is going to just like aggressively go for it because that's what they do. Like it's, I don't know if they get enough credit for like ever since they've existed as an organization, they've been after every single top free agent, every top trade deadline uh, target, and it's worked because they won a Stanley Cup. I'll, I'll end with this, Emily. I think too many people in the online space will ask you who you think wins the cup. I don't, again, you don't care. Negative side of you the Kaplan family over here. I want to turn it around on you, though. What team loses the trade deadline? What team <laughs> should go all in or should blow it up that you think has the highest potential to do the opposite of what they should be doing? Wow, this is a classic pessimistic cap on side of the family question. God, God, <laughs> goddamn right. You want to talk Kodai Senga's injury next? I'm here. <laughs> oh, well, God, you're putting me on spot here. So I think the, all of it is going to like kind of talk this one through because it's on the spot. So I got to formulate my answer. Um, the Oilers want to go all in and they will. Uh, they're going to add some impact players. And, you know, you could say that, like, if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's not worth it. But, like, I'm going to disqualify them here. Um, I think there's certain teams like the Capitals. Uh, maybe I'll pick them here because I think they don't have it this year. Like, I, it, it's just not their year. It, it's probably not their next three years. Just they've sacrificed so much to win that cup. And now every piece of energy and focus is on getting Obi this goal record. And, I think that they should absolutely blow it up and trade a ton of their players. I just don't know if like the interest is out there for all of their players. And so if they don't trade a ton of them, like then it's losing the trade deadline. Or if they trade none of them, then in my opinion, it's losing the trade deadline. Sorry, Emily, there's a giant tree tripper outside of my house. Anyway. Or you just can't like, condition you... yourself to muting out the Washington Capitals, which is fine too. Looks very similar. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for giving us the time today. Anything you want to plug before you get out of here? No, absolutely not. I, uh, I love your guys' Perfect. podcast. You guys are crushing it. And thanks for having me. Thank you, Emily. Talk soon. Hey, we're back. Thanks to cousin Emily. Oh, your cousin Emily. I'm sorry, not my cousin. Um, <laughs> my dear friend Emily uh, for jumping on the show and talking trade deadline. Always informative. Uh, we're going to answer some five-star questions now. If you want to le- leave a five-star question on the show, you can go to our Patreon, subscribe, Go to the Discord and leave a five-star question. That's how that works. Uh, this is from David. In honor of spring training starting and baseball returning, is there anything in sports as beautiful as perfectly thrown knuckleball? Um, in all yes. sports? Yeah, definitely. I honestly don't even think a knuckleball is the most beautiful thing or most fun play in baseball. I love a curve. Oh, I, I love a clean triple, man. That's pretty exciting baseball. Or like a nice 5-4-3 double play right around the horn. That's a good one, too. A knuckleball, if you slow it down, it's one of the more aesthetically pleasing. But I don't know. If you've seen some of like the vertical drops on some of these curves, dude, they're freaking crazy. Perfectly executed uh, strike them out, throw them out. It's a good one. Uh, and I think we can get to other sports as well. There's some pretty good stuff. Uh, this mm. is from Cole. Should we sign Lingren for eight years purely because no matter what, we know that we have one defenseman that will never be injured? <laughs> Over time. He gets, he gets injured. The problem is he just keeps playing. I guess we, we haven't talked about how – or did we – you you remind me if we talked about it on OT, how the report came out that Lindgren just doesn't want money. No, I didn't actually. I don't actually even know this report. We didn't talk about it. I think it was Vic. What? I'm not even on this computer. 
<laughs> um, I think it was Vince. I will give credit to Vince if it wasn't Vince. I apologize to who it was. But Vince said that Lindgren's only looking for a contract in the three to four million range per year, which I will I still want to go long term with Lindgren in terms of years? No, I don't think that body's going to hold up. He's picked up so many small injuries. He plays. The best part about his game is playing with reckless abandon, and that's great. But if he doesn't want to get paid, I definitely care less in terms of like if he wants to stay for seven years and it's for 3.5, I don't think years five, six, and seven are going to be good. But I also don't think 3.5 is it's not, it's, it's not money, especially in the new salary cap world we should be living in. Hopefully at that time. Agree with you. And we'll talk a lot about Linger in the summer. Tr- yes. Trust me, stay tuned. It's from Trinity of Misery. W- which collapse in MetLife is more embarrassing? Jets lost to the uh, Giants lost to the Jets or the Islanders lost to the Rangers? I don't, I don't know think if... the Giants Jets game is a collapse. It they was don't even an think awful about game. each other, right? Like it's yeah. terrible. It was also just a bad game. Like I think the bigger collapse, if you want to use from last year, was the Giants losing forty to nothing on opening night at MetLife. That's pretty bad. I think the Bills losing at MetLife Week One without Aaron Rodgers is a bad collapse for Buffalo. Yep. But yeah, I mean, just give it to Anders. That was really bad. It wasn't good. They had a three goal lead with Ilya Sorokin in goal and they didn't, they didn't keep the lead. It's from Jay White. Which celebrity politician or athlete would you want most to be in placebo driver? Celebrity politician, celebrity politician or athlete. I did see that Jose Bautista is the next pace car driver, so we're inching our way closer. I have to say there's been a lot more placebo driver related news that I have to say since you've done that segment. I'm years. just saying, right? Well, that's also the algorithms really coming for us there. Right. But fair. Uh, I, I saw that like the finish to the NASCAR race this weekend was point zero 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 three seconds or something. Great. It was. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Whoever. Uh, athlete. Man. Who do I think's a bad driver? Again, what makes this most fun is someone not being good at it. So what which athlete do you think is the worst driver? Uh has Julian Gauthier. No, it has to be American. Oh, sorry. Oh, he's a good driver. He wouldn't finish the race. Yeah, just, well, I guess the he first, can only he can only go one direction, so that's fine. <laughs> the first 120 laps from Julian Gauthier are gonna be some of the best laps you've ever seen. And then it gets to the point where he needs to figure out when to complete that final pit stop, and he's not going to be able to do it. Um, who do I think's the worst driver in in sports as an American athlete? Yeah, this is rough. This is a tough one. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna think on this one for myself. Uh, I'm gonna get there. I'm trying to think of. I mean, no, because Chase Utley would probably be frustratingly good at it. Yeah, that would piss can't me say off. Chase Utley. It's not how that works. It has to be okay. Let's add the qualifiers here. American driver. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming every Southern-born American in sports has either participated in a race on a dirt course track or is familiar with heavy equipment, so it can't be them. So essentially, Big assumption, but yes, <laughs> essentially, it has to be an American athlete from the non-I-95 corridor of New England. So, like Todd Frazier, oh, wow. but he grew up in Tom's River. Tom's River. So he's on the corridor. Because if you grow up on the I-95 corridor, like I got better driving skills than people understand because it in the late 2000s, early 2010s, driving on I-95 in that stretch of Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, 
That was war. But you... we drove to Marist. The Taconic Parkway is hell. Yeah, and it's a tight roadway, Ryan, with it a lot of hell. blind turns. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. You, you, you drive to certain points in, in, in New York. It's not, you know, it's probably someone from Rochester because I feel like you don't have to do anything out there. I'm going to go to the next question while we think about this. It's okay. from, from Mr. Bang Bang. Who is the most unappreciated ranger in the last 10 years? Is it Quickie? No, I thought it, it, it's Rick Nash. It's not close. Oh fuck! You're because right. not only was Rick Nash, a, not only was Rick Nash a good ranger. I did this when we got this question. I did this game with hockey stat miner. Is Rick Nash single handedly the man responsible for this current Ranger reign of success? We I are saw living in? your thread on this. It's pretty good. Because think of the play again. Just the players they acquired for Rick Nash. You include Pavel Buchnevich because the third round pick came with Rick Nash, and that pick was used to take Buchnevich. So that's where it starts. Then you get Ryan Lindgren in the trade. You get the draft pick that became Keandre Miller in the trade. You get Ryan Spooner in the trade, who you then traded for Ryan Strom straight up, and who the Oilers bought out to inexplicably give you $600,000 more to give to Artemi Panarin. And again, he was really good with the Rangers. So it's Rick Nash. You know how I feel about Rick Nash, but I think you're right. Yeah, Um, and that's how I know I'm right. This is from Matty Jack. How much do you think the Cooley, Brzezinski, Kako success can be attributed to the lack of tape they have on them? We talk about 10-game adjustments for rookies. Can the same be said about lines? Not discrediting their play, I just want to know if I should temper my expectations sustainability-wise. I mean, there's definitely... The more they get exposed, and I don't mean that in the negative fashion that people... But the more tape you get on something, the more you can be prepared for it. So there will be a bounce back. But again, I think a big reason why that line is succeeding is one of the players, Kago specifically, is overqualified to be playing that position. So he's always going to have, you are always going to be in a position of an advantage if Capo Kako is on the ice with forwards that do not rank in your top six and probably your third pairing defense. Like if you're finding ways in the game for Kako to be going up against lesser competition, you're going to have a permanent advantage. And I think Cooley, the more he plays, the more he's proving that in order to slow him down, you have to put better players out against him. But again, the Rangers and LaViolette specifically, they are finding spots and cushions for this line to go out there and dominate for very short stretches simply because the other team has bad players on the ice. I I think part of it is... They don't really need the like the the tape for that line is pretty simple. It's hey, they drive to the net and they're going to beat the hell out of us. And, and they're possession monsters. So the correct the way to succeed against that line is not giving them the puck. But there's no way to there's there's just no way to not give them the puck. And if they have the puck, they're not giving it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Count Composer. When Puxitani Phil saw his shadow on Groundhog's Day, indicating spring would come early this year. Was this a sign that Mika March would also arrive sooner and we all missed it? No, because my man could still not score at 5v5. <laughs> but he is scoring, just not at 5v5. So, whatever. I do, I, I like the people that are now the Mika defenders saying, you know, all goals are created equal. And to a point, that's correct. It's just, you're not going to get, you, if he's only going to score on the power play, you just need to make sure you're always getting power plays. You're never going to be in a position where you're always definitely going to be getting power plays. 
Next question is from David. Where do we? Where do the vibes of the NJD game rank among the regular season games over the last four seasons? David, this is a hard one, buddy. Um, I, I actually think it's not that high because it was non-competitive. Like it was just they beat the hell out of him. It's cool to beat your opponent like that, but the games that are high vibes are usually the ones you win close or that are a little more intense. This was just a, a destruction. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, and again. I understand that there are Ranger fans out there and some of you listening that just care about the New Jersey Devils and want them to fail more than I do. I just don't care about them. Like, they're not worth my time. So whatever they do, like, it's quite frankly good for them every time they beat the Rangers. And Fitz, (laughs) in the way Fitz only could, had a marvelous post where it's like, I'm not going to treat a win over a non-playoff performer like it's some kind of miracle. So. Yeah, I just I don't I don't care about the Devils. So good for them. It's from Live Laugh Lavy. In five one game, the catalyst that caused the New York Jersey Devils to pull the trigger on the Markstrom trade. So it seems like that that's Emily talked about this on our 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 show. They they can't they they just couldn't come to terms. There's probably yeah. just like too hard to swallow. And by the way, the Flames should be asking for as much as they want. Yes. So it, to me, it, unless the dev, it sounded like from what Emily said, unless the Devils change their approach to Markstrom, it's not happening. Troubatrain asks, "What percentage do we credit to Laffy's breakout this season? To each of the following: better coaching, more ice time, playing with Panarin, other, all, better coaching, more ice time, playing with." So if if we had to give a hundred percent. I'll put coaching first, playing with Panarin second, ice time third. I don't know. Panarin definitely helps because everybody keys in on Panarin, so it creates opportunity and openings for you. The coaches definitely do a better job of putting him in positions to succeed. But, like, at the same time, this is – he – what was it, two years ago, led the Rangers on even strength goals? So, like, it's, is ice time really all he fucking needed? Because this was always there. He was just playing 13 minutes a night. But then, is ice time connected to coaching? I, I'm talking about 33% for the first three, 1% for the other. Because I don't think we give enough credit to how every hockey player in the Rangers system should be playing softball in the summer. <laughs> perfect way to land that one it's from jets rangers one love the johnny b has been playing but can we dare to imagine what it would have been like if Heedle was healthy yeah we can you can dare but you can, <laughs> don't think about it too long buddy if my aunt had wheels she'd be a bike that's true captain dick rip a great name opinions on the fanatic shit show in the mlb level of concern for fanatics taking over the ice uniforms next season uh yeah pretty concerned like i'm not a jersey guy i think we, we've been pretty anti um like jersey drops or anything on this show i think the new jersey was pretty cool for the the stadium series i thought about getting one myself but boy uh the fanatics mlb jerseys are really bad they're kind of nuts so well you can see the nuts which is part of the problem yes uh yeah i mean i asked this question at ski end and no one really had a good answer how did a company that has such a negative q rating across the board get this powerful no one's ever had a good opinion of fanatics, even when they were only in like the fatheads business. I I think I have like a, a 
interesting answer to this. Did they, well, did they just buy their way to the top? Did they buy the reputation? I think that's kind of it. Yeah, because they just they kept buying everything and making money, so people thought, well, surely they must be good. But nobody liked them when they took over the the baseball card industry. Nobody liked them when they took over the jersey reset reselling. People are really upset with what they've done with Mitchell and Ness. Like you go across the board, they haven't made a good decision, and yet they control everything. It's weird, man. It's kind of like they were like, "Hey, this is these are industries we can take and then cut costs on all of them, and people will still buy them." And that's what they did. It's like well, that's American what imperialism and fanatics. A theory in this thesis, I will. I, it's honestly something that I think we can do 45 minutes on, but we won't. This is from Graham. Hardly a big problem at the moment, but have you noticed that we don't have any true one-on-one breakaway finishes this season? Yes, I have, by the way, in case you're wondering. I said, I can't remember the last time we scored one. Could be a big moment in a playoff game. Yeah, Graham, I would love if they figured that out, but I think they're 0-27 like in their last 27 attempts. Sounds like, like to me they're due. There's it. This is from AZK. Do you think it's strange people were so quick to give on this team <laughs> give up on this team when there was a rough patch. Boy, this question was asked last week. I feel like as a Ranger fans, we're no strangers to love. You know the rules and so do I. Oh, did I just get... Okay, cool. Um, I, I'm pretty sure... Look, they lost against the Columbus Blue Jackets. People gave up on them again. Yep. It just happens. This, this, is just, just, this is just fandom in 2024. That's all it is. So, and certain people are going to be like, what are you talking about? And those people are right. Uh, this is from J-Rod. Is this team good? Yeah, it is. Uh, this is from Brian. When was the last time in your memory... A Rangers or New York athlete endeared himself so quickly to a majority of the fan base like Rempe. Uh, here's the thing. I understand that when it happens, it feels special. We do this all the fucking time. Yeah. All the time. Like we did. Vogelback was a god for six weeks with the Mets. Uh, who's the third baseman? Gio Urshela. There you go. Yep. He was a guy. Huge. Um, I mean, Frank Petrano. We do it right now. I like mean, 20 games with us. Yeah. I like. I mean, Taj Gibson has this kind of following with the Knicks, too, whenever he shows up for 10 days. Um, there are some, like, hero players, and Repi has now in, in, uh, put himself in that hall. He's not – right. There, there are different categories here. Like, the, he's not in Lynn's sanity bin. No where way. That was that's, – that's a level of existence that is reserved for the special few. But we we literally do it all the time where some guy who comes in with no expectations suddenly – does something special for a two-week stretch, and we all ask ourselves, man, only in New York. Where else could this possibly happen? But I promise you guys, this happens all the fucking time. There was a whole season where the most popular Met wasn't Mike Piazza or Edgardo Alfonso or Al Leiter, and it was Soyoshi Shinjo. That happened in my childhood. Participated in it. Uh, this is for Maddie Jack. Should we sell high on Rempe? His stock will never be higher. If yes, what do you think the return looks like? Maddie, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and you're an evil man. It's not happening. But um, I will say this. If the Rangers are in a trade for even a third line center or a number one right wing, and the team that is giving up the player the Rangers are hoping to acquire, if they ask for Rempe, great. Take them. Have awesome. fun. Enjoy. Yeah, have a great time. Uh, I'm going to skip... One or two of these. This is from Dan from LI. Should we entertain the Brady Kachuk rumors? No. no. They can't afford them, man. Also, is it really even a rumor? I don't know. I, I, Where do we put spit and chicklets as guys creating reliable rumors? They've had some pretty good scoops over the years. But they've Especially also had some the, pretty bad scoops over the years. That's true. They get a lot of information. I'm sure there's, they're kind of overloaded. But the, Right. But I, 
I'm not saying they don't get information, but when they regurgitate all their information, it makes me question if all their information is good. That's what I'm saying. They're probably it's probably it's just, information game is so hard. It's it's probably not. But I the Kachuk thing at least is it's fun to dream about. But there's no chance, man. No chance. Um, Tyler Upson. At what point do we change this Miller Truba D line and put Fox with Miller? We kind of we might try, but like I think we kind of iterated this over the yeah over the earlier in the show. It's from Allie. Was Sunday's CBG loss more or less disappointing than the five three loss where we got hat tricked by Boone Jenner? It's the same. It's like it's just a game that happened. I, the Boone Jenner game was just like a game where, like, I don't think the Rangers were the worst team on the ice. I don't think the Rangers were the best team on the ice yesterday. I just you, you remember early in the season, right, when I said the Rangers were going to lose like twenty five to thirty times, and we all just had to accept it. We're on that pace. was one of them. That's just on one of them. Yep. For the last question from Phil S. Are we past the point where the current fourth line isn't a goofy thing and now a viable option moving forward? Or will the deadline likely break them up? I think the deadline Deadline's will. Like, definitely going to break them up. They're going to break them up, but I will say it's not goofy. Uh, it's not. I wouldn't say it's goofy, but also like this is the same uh, the five star section where someone asks if we get more tape on Brodzinski, Cooley, and Kako, should we expect them to regress? You know who the league will get more tape on, and they will absolutely regress: Edstrom and Rempe. That's fair. And then, again, I'm not saying they aren't players capable of then making their own adjustment back. I'm simply saying the league will adjust to these guys. And when that happens, we will then understand what they're capable of. Uh, All right. That's been the show. We did it. We We survived. Sounds good. Uh, We'll be back with VSBOT on Wednesday night. So we'll see you guys then. Love you guys. Bye. Hey, it's the end of the show where I thank NHL Insider Club members for supporting this show. And I read their name incorrectly, including people that told me in person how to correctly pronounce their name. And yet I still don't do it. Truly unbelievable by me. And yet we've hit another milestone. I think I've told this story before. But when we first started the Insider Chat, I really thought at the end of the day, it would be, uh, you know, 5 to 15 people. Uh, in there and I could you know interact with you guys all day and become best friends with some of you which has actually happened which is sickeningly weird uh and I've had other people become really good friends from this thing but I thought it was like all right let's have a little nice community of blue shirts breakaway psychopaths so we can chat with five to 15 people we have now broken the hundred people record again I cannot believe it you guys are crazy and I appreciate you all so much. Uh, I'm going to talk about how much I appreciate you in a second. But first, I want to name all 101 members who are active currently in the Insiders Club. Adam Cartulo, Adam Cohen. You know what's wild about that is Adam Cohen actually comes first, and I immediately read Cartulo second. Wild. That's so... <laughs> oh, God. Adam Keach, Alex Flynn, Alex Gardner, Amber Cohensberger, Andrew Ronner, Anthony Gray, Anthony McCall. Is that right? This is not right. I'm so sorry. Anthony Mon- Monturo, Anthony Tanagretta, April Erickson, Ari Zanger, Bill we- Ben Water, Ben Weber, Bill Allison, Bill Rattel, Billy Brennan, Lacos, Brennan McMahon, Brennan Grager, Brian Doherty, Brian Noyle, Brian Gallagher, Brian Melling, Brian Farrell, Cassidy, Cassidy Rollman, Cizes, Chris Finelli, Chris Haru, CJ Selwagon, Conrad Pidama, Daniel Delaney, Daniel Dazan, David Narodin, David Siegel, D- DJ Banana Jazz, Dylan, Brett Schneider, Eric Stagg, Garrett Rainis, 
Gib Carter Cup, Greg, Gretzky, the Fly, Harrison Hasco, Hello Vanilla, Hip Hop 89, Jack Bagley, Jack Rogan, Jake Keith. Oh my god, there's three pages now? This is sickening. James Masker, Jerry Marquez, Jason Stumer, Jason Zabraski, Joanna! That's just fun to say. Joanna! John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Thunderclock, Jordan, Joseph Sirico. <laughs> Nailed it. Josh Kestenbaum. Thanks, Josh, for coming down, buddy. Uh, Josh White, Chris from Florida, Crowder or Die, Christoph Berg, Lee Plummer, Leszek Gronowski. Fucked up the last name. Lou Giordano, emo singer extraordinaire. Matthew Goodwin, Matthew Kine, Meatball the Cat, Michael Koenig, Mike, Mike Bucklaw, Mike Mancuso. Kuzo, Mike is going to kill me, man. He told me how to say it. Mike Pasternak, Nate Hannafy and Leaks, Nick Grover, DuPont's for Press, Nicholas Titicola, Other Slash, Pascal Perrier, Paul J. Smith, Pavel Kodarev, not how you say his last name, Phoenix Ignition, PJ Sparrow, Randy Tesser, Ryan Seep, Ryan Watch Miracle, I haven't yet, Weingarth, The Drop PK, Tommy Sinclair, Tommy Tedeschi, Tony O'Neill, Tony Gregory, Tori Manhattan, Vinny Brocco, Will Spector, and I know who's on this last page is the only person, Winston, the Golden Retriever. Bark to the bark, bark, bark. Um, thank you all. For hanging out this weekend if you came to the Flyers game. It is so cool to see uh, so many Ranger fans get together. And it, it is, it's weird because like we're all good friends online, but we don't like hang out. So when we get the chance to hang out and everyone kind of knows each other, it's pretty funny. It's, it's, it's pretty special, especially at the Flyers game. And this isn't um, me trying to do the Devils thing like, oh, it's a home game. But Flyers-Rangers is a significant amount of Ranger fans. Like We've been traveling pretty well to these last couple games. Anything on the East Coast... I guess anywhere. Rangers fans really travel well. So people came out, you know, some people came from Houston. People drive through the whole thing. It's like a, especially because we're a Saturday afternoon game, it was a ceremony. It might as well have been to so many Ranger fans. So if we got to chat, we got to hang out, we got to shake hands. I appreciate you. I met a lot of new friends, met a lot of new people, went out to dinner with a couple people. We had an awesome time. The wings said mild, but they were a little too hot. Uh, but we all tried to eat them. Uh, but the, the sweet potato fries were amazing. So appreciate you all. Uh, hopefully we can do some stuff in the summer for playoff watch games and, uh, let's stay tuned for that, huh? Anyway, team sucks. We should sell the team. Uh, we should, uh, they, they're terrible. Trade everybody. They won, lost one game to CBJ and we'll see you on Wednesday night after they play CBJ again. Love you guys. Bye.